good evening to everyone. Uh, I hope you all are enjoying dinner. I thought maybe we should go ahead and get started. It is 645. Uh, before we actually formally get started, I'd like to call our meeting to order and ask that the Deputy City Manager, Ms. Mester, call roll. Cindy? Thank you, Mayor. I will start with City Council and then do School Board. Ms. Connolly? Here. Mr. Duncan? Here. Ms. Hardy? Here. Ms. Sean Siscott? Here. Um, Mr. Snyder remotely? Here. And I'm missing one on my list. My apologies. And Mayor Tarter? Here. And for the school board, uh, Mr. Dimock? Here. Dr. Gould? Here. Dr. Ortiz? Here. Mr. Redinger? Here. Ms. Silverman? Here. Ms. Tice? Chair Downs here. Thank you, Mayor. And as you know, we have one council. Oh, Ms. Leon, thank you. My apologies. And I'm assuming you're smiling at me and you are here, so I'll note. <laughs> so we do have one member, at least City Council does, who's appearing remotely, and we need to have a motion to uh, approve his joinder. Mr. Duncan? Mr. Mayor, I move the City Council approval of electronic participation by Dave Snyder in tonight's meeting for personal reasons pursuant to City Council's policy on participation in meetings through electronic means as adopted by Resolution 2022-02. All right. And Mr. Snyder, can you state where you are and the reasons for your absence? Yes. Um, I'm in France, part of a U.S. delegation to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Thank you. All right. So, Mr. Mayor, I need to call roll. And so before we do that, I think we need a second on the motion yes. as well. Second. Okay. Back to you, Cindy. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Ms. Connolly? Yes. Mr. Duncan? Yes. Ms. Hardy? Yes. Ms. Leon? Yes. Ms. John Siscott? Yes. Mayor Tarter? Yes. Thank you, Mayor. All right. Thank you. I don't thank know if you. you. Thank you very much. Sure. Welcome, Dave. Hope it's not too late over there. I imagine it is, though, but thanks for uh, joining us at a late hour. Sure, um, thank you. But I want to welcome our colleagues from the school board here this evening. It's a pleasure to get everyone together once again. Um, we've had a uh, long and fruitful relationship, uh, particularly these past few years um, have been, uh, I think, great for our city and particularly for our kids with, uh, at least during my tenure, I think renovations to all the various schools in our city um and uh you know raising teacher pay and most of all i think that brand new wonderful high school that you all delivered on time and on budget and on schedule so um we're really excited about further conversation tonight and uh continuing our fruitful collaboration and um, i know mary beth's got a few remarks she'd like to make i don't know if you'd like to make those now or okay uh, i'll turn it back over to you then chair downs Thank you so much, Mayor. Uh, yes, I, I just want to echo uh, your comments. Well, first of all, let me just thank everyone for this delicious meal in front of us. I, I said to Mary Beth, it's sort of like our version of Thanksgiving, I guess, um, but it's delicious. Thank you so much for dinner. Uh, we um, are really grateful, just as you said, uh, Mayor Tarter, for partnership. Um, you know, a couple things come to mind, um, looking at to, uh, Ms. Connolly for her leadership and really working through that um, revenue sharing agreement. And that was something that um, I know that the finance committee on the city council side took a long time to really get that all in writing. And that was a great exercise and we really appreciate that. And we've shared that with our board as well. So thank you again, um, Ms. Connolly and everyone on the finance committee for, for working on that. Um, 
And as you said, Mayor Tutter, it is a great time. We're very proud of the school and we're so thankful um, to the city council um, for your and the citizens um, for their voting on that bond and uh, you know for Dr. Newland's leadership bringing that but that building on time and on budget uh, and you know we we continue uh, as you said Mayor Tarter about teacher salaries we, that's always continues to be our uh, goal and challenge is um, you know as teachers are leaving the workforce nationwide uh, really trying to be able to compete with teachers you know with in this um, in this Northern Virginia area. And um, we'll, I don't want to steal any of Dr. Noonan's thunder, so I won't, but I uh, just wanted to thank you all again. And um, you know, we'll be talking more, um, but I, having sat through, Mr. Reinger sat through a lot more of these than I have, but the ones I've sat through, it's been just really uh, great to just work together with you all over the past couple of years. And I do feel that we've really gotten to be, to a point where we really are very collaborative. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Uh, so I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Ms. Connolly, who's put together a, uh, I don't know if you call it a zipper. Uh, I'm not sure what you call it, but whatever you call it, it's, uh, it's great. And so I'm going to let you go ahead and take us through that. Thank you, Mayor Tarter. So everyone has at their place Mayor, this graphic. Ms. Connolly, if you could hold for a moment. I oh. just got a message from Mr. Schneider. He can't hear. Could you check that for me, sir? Yep, it's much better now. Thank you so much. Sorry for the interruption. So you have this graphic, but I ask you to turn it over first to see the other side of where we came from. So back in 2019, this was the first time we really had this dinner. And we were at a point in the process of working on the high school that things just kept feeling dicey. And um, as I kept thinking about it, I'm thinking, well, this, it's kind of like a zipper, like we have to do this step and then this step and this step. And sometimes there's going to be a hitch. But if we keep going between the school board and the school staff and the general government and the city council, we have to make these decisions and we have to go forward. Otherwise, we're just going to like run in circles. So in 2019, that was our first graphic of a zipper. And all those things that are on that first graphic got squished onto the 2020 graphic. And then 2021, we were lucky enough to open our new high school. So the picture is all of us, or many of us, at the grand opening. So then this year, the question was, what, what are the things and how are we working together? Because we never could have gotten to this point of having our high school and economic development without tons and tons of collaboration and cooperation. So I took all the things that were on the first three zippers and put them here. But really, there's Mustang Alley there in the middle because that's the collaboration that we're working on now. And we're not going to get anywhere unless we continue to collaborate. But it goes beyond just building the high school and building the commercial development. We, uh, you already mentioned the revenue sharing agreement. Uh, so I added that at the bottom of 2019, the spirit of the revenue sharing agreement. And then this year we've got revenue sharing 2.0. Um, and there are other things that we are still doing together beyond the high school. Um, the OPEB regulation updates, there was a banking RFP that the school staff and the general government staff worked together on very closely, and there are many more things like that. So as we go forward, I just encourage everyone to collaborate, communicate, work on our relationships, partnerships, because that is where, how we've gotten where we are today and how we will keep doing well in the future. So you can take this home, hang it on your wall, <laughs> do whatever, frame it, yes. All right, well said, thank you. 
Um, so now I believe we've got presentations both from the city side and the school side about some of the um, cost drivers, some of the challenges, and um, just some of the work you've done to date um, for budget time, which we're getting close to. And so I, I guess we'll start, I guess, with um, the city side. Mr. Shields, would you like to take us through your thoughts on the budget and your team's thoughts? where we are today well thank you mayor tartar and members of council and chair downs members of the school board and uh, staff um, it is great to be with you all tonight at this traditional session where we celebrate achievements of our recent history but also think ahead think about the future and um, and this is our chance to do some initial information sharing but also some initial planning for fy24 budget development um, so our order of, of uh, presentations, I think we'll start with the schools and um, then I will go through some of the general, uh, the general government budget drivers after the schools have done the same on kind of what the key objectives are and what some of the big challenges will be in the coming budget. And then uh, we'll wrap up with, uh, with our finance director, Kieran Baba, will give our revenue forecasts for the coming year. And for the sake of Mr. Snyder, for whom I think it's about one o'clock in the morning, I'll go ahead and cut to the chase. Um, the revenue forecasts um, are in the range of about 4.2%, sort of in that low 4% um, uh, range in terms of what the economy is going to provide for new revenues in the coming year. Um, and so that's helpful just as we're processing all the other information that we'll present in just a moment. And Kieran will go into more detail on that. And I think a theme that we're hearing regionally, and I'm sure you'll hear from both uh, Peter and myself, um, this I think is going to be a really challenging year. It's a year where, we've, where we're all experiencing a lot of cost inflation. Uh, we have a very competitive labor market, and that's gonna probably be job number one for both of us, is to take care of our workforce um, to, to make sure we reward, but also retain excellent employees in this tight environment. Um, and we're doing that possibly, in a, you know, with a recession coming, or at any rate, certainly uh, some uncertainty on the macroeconomic horizon. So we'll talk about all these things tonight, but I just want to start off by really thanking Mary Beth Connolly for laying out these principles of collaboration, teamwork, uh, communication, relationship, conversation, and partnership, because that is really the key I think to producing great results, which we've been able to, to do together, particularly in our recent history. Peter, let me turn it over to you. Great, thank you, uh, Mr. Shields. We appreciate being here very much. Um, good evening, everybody. I, 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 um, as I looked at this as it was in the draft format not too long ago, um, I was struck by how much we have done since 2017 um, and things really picked up uh, on, on the general government side and on the school side. And there's uh, no doubt that um, we're tired <laughs> at this point as the two leaders working through this. But um, it's, been, it's been a real thrill and a real joy uh, to be able to work with uh, such a great partner in Wyatt Shields, um, along with our great school board and the city council. So um, this evening, I have the opportunity of sharing some of our fiscal forecast um, for that uh, 20, fiscal year 24. But before I do that, I do wanna just say thanks to a couple of people. First is uh, Kristen Michael, who is with us this evening, who's our chief operating officer. And then also wanna thank Michelle Kopic, who's our budget director. 
Um, did you want to say anything else, uh, Chair Downs? Or okay, all right, great, great. Um, so, so with that, um, let me let me just say up front that um, tonight's presentation is uh, tr has traditionally been an evening where we sort of just share our current realities, and we have so, uh, some really good things that we want to share this evening with folks at home and, and the, the city council uh, and folks in the general government. And, and let me start with just our partnership. Um, and, and Wyatt um, Shields certainly talked about it, but I, I will say one of the things that um, has been the most heartening to me over the last several years, as, as difficult as the last couple of years have been, um, has been the ongoing successful collaboration between the general government and the, and the, uh, the schools along with the city council and the school board. Um, to the extent that um, I, I think uh, at least I have become a little bit dogged in the way that um, I talk about us and poor Ms. Bawa and, and Mr. Shields are probably the, the targets of my um, comments more often than not, but we are the city. Um, and one of the things that I, I believe strongly in is we've got the general government, we've got the schools, we've got the city council, and we've got the school board, and together we're the city. Um, so it's not the city side versus the schools. It really is general government, the schools, council, and school board. And, and so it's been fun to really sort of reframe that idea of we all represent um, the city. Um, so we are, we are also proud that, and it's, it's been noted a couple of times in the document in front of you, um, but for the last four years in a row, we have presented a budget that falls within budget guidance and also following the spirit of the revenue sharing agreement. Um, and we don't anticipate um, anything differently at this point as we head into the budget season. Um, and part of that is because of the really great relationship that we've been able to maintain um, throughout the last several years. Um, this last uh, 18 months or so, we had an opportunity to um, develop a new strategic plan in the City of Falls Church Schools. And I, I think many of you have heard about it and, and probably have seen it. Um, but there are a few things that I wanted to bring to your attention that just sort of gives you a high level um, sense of, of those uh, areas of emphasis and focus that really came out of this significant engagement with our community. Um, we had over a thousand people engage in our communications through surveys, through focus groups and the like um, over the last 18 months and came out with us and we came out with a strategic plan that really represents the city of Falls Church in a way that we're really proud of. Um, things changed from our, our triennial plan that we've been working on for the last several years, um, starting with our mission. Um, and I won't read the mission, but I think it's important for all of us to understand that we're working very hard to be the premier international baccalaureate school division, not only in the country, but across the, the world. Um, and, and to that end, um, everything that we are um, engaged in with respect to instruction and curriculum development and the like um, supports that notion. And ultimately, we believe that we will produce um, out of the work that we're doing some really incredible students that are responsible, caring, and internationally minded. And the hallmark, obviously, of the International Baccalaureate Program is that notion of being internationally minded, which is so extremely vital, I think, in our city um, given the nature of the community that we live in um, with so many um, third, second, third, and fourth culture kids. Um, our vision is to uh, create a student-centered, innovative learning environment where all of our students are empowered um, to, to meet their fullest potential and to really excel. 
Um, and through that process, we uh, will continue to support the IB learner profile. What came out of um, the conversations that have now been codified in our strategic planning process or our strategic planning documents is a, a really, I think, extraordinary set of core values. And these core values are um, sort of our North Star collectively with respect to the schools and believe that um, everything that we do needs to tie back to our core values, um, also to our collective commitments, which I'll share with you in just a second, and then ultimately the five major areas of emphasis within the plan. Uh, but the core values that came from the really incredible conversations um, start with being a student-centered community. Um, again, the students are the center of everything that we do. The decisions that we make in the schools are rooted in best practices and research for um, students, and that includes not only academic decisions, but relational decisions, financial decisions, and operational decisions. Um, we also believe that we have to be responsible and responsive to our community and be accountable to the community. And, and we are proud to say that, that we have done that um, and continue to do that through really strong open communication, listening with intent, um, seeking to understand, embracing growth and development and improvement. Um, academic success is obviously a highlight and a hallmark of the city of, of Falls Church Schools that we can all take great pride in. Um, we believe in an inclusive and diverse community of people from students and staff um, to make sure that everyone is seen, heard, and valued in the process um, and are welcomed. Um, but, but beyond welcomed, embraced, and become part of our community in a deep way. And lastly, ensuring that we have a strong connection uh, with our community, uh, our community partners. And, and again, we're in a unique position because we're small and we're able to be very relational. As a consequence of these um, real core values, we get into these collective commitments, and I'll just highlight a couple of them for you because there are, there are several on here, um, but they really, again, speak to who we are and what we believe as a school system. Um, the first is we believe in, in a really incredible, high-quality teaching and learning environment for our kids, which means that we have to hire the best if we want to be the best. And so everything that we've been doing with respect to our budget, since this is part of a budget presentation, has been to ensure that we are uh, and continue to remain competitive in the market, also providing some really incredible extra resources that other school divisions may not have, such as being able to provide great professional development and learning, talking about the unique nature of the City of Falls Church Schools with respect to class sizes being small, being relational, and then of course um, being supported by the Ed Foundation as well. Um, we also believe that we should be serve, serving every kid by name and by need. So you'll see a term in here called the multi-tiered systems of support. And that is specific to students that may not be um, meeting their fullest potential. And so uh, as, as students come in and as we're working with them, if they're struggling, we have tiered responses to intervene to ensure that all students can achieve at high levels and that we can also provide the appropriate depth and complexity for our students that are advanced as well. And then lastly, um, the, the last one I wanna share in this list is uh, around social and emotional learning. And I wanna thank um, uh, Wyatt Shields and the council um, and the school board for their support as we went through some of the um, uses of ARPA money. Um, this last year, it was very important to us to really get clear and focused um, with intent around how we were gonna support students in the area of social and emotional 
uh, learning as well as mental health. And some of the ARPA funds that came out that you already have done a, a budget transfer on will continue to maintain some of the positions in our schools that are um, really valuable to being able to provide that support, whether it's through a school psychologist or an extra school counselor um, and the like. So um, just a few collective commitments that I wanted to make sure I was clear about. And then the last piece around the strategic plan that I think is, is um, really exciting is that we now have identified five very clear strategic areas of emphasis that um, will drive everything. And the reason that these are important, one is it gives us a, a real roadmap towards success and where we're headed, but at the same time, as we develop budget priorities, all the budget priorities that we've asked for our staff and our principals and our central office folks to come through with have to be linked back to one of these five major areas of strategic focus. So here you'll see IB infused teaching and learning because we are an international baccalaureate school division. We want to infuse everything we do with the international baccalaureate lens. Uh, wellness, equity and belonging, resource management and continuous improvement, communication and engagement, and investing in our people. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about um, our strategic plan, um, and how it's being monitored and tracked, I would invite you to go onto our website and go to our strategic planning site because there's a lot of information there about the act actions and activities that are happening to support um, these five strategic areas. So let me pivot now away from sort of who we are and what we're all about to a little bit more concrete uh, information, specifically around enrollment. Um, and this picture, just by the way, is our, our group of students that just performed in Pippin, and I hope uh, many of you were able to see it. It was quite a great show a couple of weeks ago, um, and our students were, were amazing. This is the, the, the Pitt Orchestra um, that were there and did a great job. Um, this is an eye chart for those of you that are trying to watch this at home um, or from across the room. Um, but there are a couple of things that I want to point out in here um, that I think are most important. This is the annual enrollment chart that we share um, with everyone. And um, one of the things that we have been monitoring very closely is our enrollment post-COVID um, and, and looking at how are we either rebounding or not rebounding um, post-COVID. And one of the things that we are excited about is that each year, um, year over year since uh, last year, we're continuing to grow and get back to our pre-COVID pre numbers. However, that isn't without um, <clears throat> a couple of questions that continue to be raised, um, and that is particularly in our kindergarten enrollment, and traditionally kindergarten enrollment is one of the hardest to determine um, because uh, we do try to get out of the community, we do try to speak to our daycare providers beyond the daycare provisions that we provide, um, but we um, are doing the very best we can with respect to projections when it comes to kindergarten enrollment. So you'll note when you have a chance to look at these slides that our kindergarten enrollment actually came in a little bit lower than anticipated. Um, and we also had um, a drop in our eighth grade enrollment if you look at the chart. And the reason for that is because we had the largest eighth grade class ever last year. And so our eighth grade dropped when they moved to ninth grade. Um, but you'll see the overall total um, of increased enrollment um, and variance from last year's projections is 32. So we grew by 32 students. And for us, um, 32 represents uh, a about one, a little more than 1% um, of growth in students. So who are they and, and um, are they coming just as um, 
a, a standard student? And the answer to that question is no. We're seeing some um, shifts in uh, the needs of our students. So you'll see on this chart, uh, for example, that our um, economically disadvantaged students, and those are students that are on free and reduced lunch, actually increased for year over year from last year by 15%. So we're seeing more uh, poverty in our schools than we have previously. And one of the things that we know from research is that students that come that are in poverty oftentimes have greater needs than those students that um, aren't in poverty. So that means that not only are we growing in enrollment, but the intensity of need is increased. Um, our students with disabilities grew by 14 students, which is a total growth of about 4.1%. So these are students that are, um, specific, are getting specifically designated um, instruction that's modified to meet their needs, and typically that's done in a very small group setting. So when we think about class sizes and the like, um, these are smaller class sizes. Um, but our number of students with 504 plans, and these are not, um, these are not federal documents, um, but in, uh, instead these are local plans, um, comparing them to an IEP, for example. These are local plans that are put together by school counselors um, to support students that may have some sort of um, need that's extra uh, was reduced by 12 students. Um, we increased in our English speakers of other languages by 7%, up nine students. Um, we, are see, we saw a, a return of our homeschool students in 2020, 2021, when we went from um, 69 students that were homeschooled back down to 35 uh, and 37 this year. So we saw a slight growth, but um, not, as, not as great a growth as obviously from 1920 to 2021. And then lastly, um, we have a, a significant number this year for the first time of students that are paying tuition um, at our schools. It's the biggest number we've ever had. So in 2023, not including Jesse Thackeray Preschool, we have 18 students that pay tuition to come to our schools here in the city of Falls Church. And uh, that's up 20% from the prior year. This is a stacked bar um, set of data that graphically shows you kind of um, where we are in terms of a growth curve. And, um, and the stacks represent grade levels. So starting at kindergarten at the bottom all the way up to 12th grade. Um, one of the things you'll see is you'll see that, that spike, um, if you will, in 2017-18, stayed strong 19 and into 20, and then we had the COVID year, uh, we dropped, and again, we're starting to see the enrollment starting to bounce back. And so we anticipate over the next couple of years that we'll be back up to the, the 2017 enrollment numbers that are, that are here. So a few impacts to um, our current projections that I think are really important to note um, and, and also um, represent some long-term existential concerns that we may share. Um, the first is uh, we are seeing in the, in the data that comes from the Weldon Cooper Center from the University of Virginia, a relatively sharp drop in the number of births in recent years in Northern Virginia. <clears throat> that um, we don't know what that means for us locally. Um, one of the things that um, Mr. Shields and I have talked a lot about over the course of the last um, several months really is seeing about getting um, someone in here who can help us with some of the, the demography. Um, so someone who could come in and help us with, with identifying how we are specifically in the city of Falls Church would be really helpful. Um, but we do know that in the Northern Virginia region, there's been a sharp number of, of drop in births. 
There's also been a shift to remote work, uh, meaning that people can work wherever they want. Um, and so in some areas in Northern Virginia, there's been a significant out-migration of people um, who have been able to leave the area, go someplace less expensive, and, um, and still be able to work and put their kids in school there um, without having to be local where the, the offices are. Um, we have not seen that out-migration um, specifically here, but it is something that we will continue to sort of monitor um, as work patterns shift. Um, the other thing that's not included in the current projections are the local housing changes um, and current projections. We do have some information about the yield, for example, at Founders Row, um, but the larger areas that are coming online, whether it's Broad and Washington or the big project up at the high school, are not included in our current projections. So our, our current student, project, or student enrollment is 2,552, and we are anticipating a, a mild increase of 13 students next year. So 13 plus the 32 that we had this year, over a two-year span, we're looking at about 45, 40, growth of about 45 students. <clears throat> so when we think about um, forecasted expenditures, this is where um, we, we have gone back and um, really worked with our staff, worked with our schools, worked with our principals um, to get some information about what the needs are um, in the context of our new strategic plan. But at the same time, as Mr. Shields indicated and as, as Chair Downs indicated, one of the things that we are absolutely committed to is making sure that we have um, the very best um, compensation packages for the people that serve our students day in and day out. So a few of the salary cost drivers are listed here. Um, as I think everybody knows, um, Falls Church City Public Schools is the largest employer in Falls Church City with more than 500 employees. Um, retention and recruitment, particularly in a time where we're seeing mass exoduses across the community, um, not necessarily our community, but across Northern Virginia and around the country um, from teaching is absolutely essential to our success. We really feel like we want to keep those very great teachers that we have and keep them in place. So our, some of our drivers are, as everybody knows, we're on a step and grade system. And for us to do a, a, a step um, each year, uh, it costs a different amount. But this year, it's about $950,000 to do a one step increase for our, all of our employees. And then each 1% of a cost of living adjustment is about $400,000. So if we were going to do, say, uh, a 3% cost of living adjustment, that would be $1.2 million. Uh, and then we did the step, that would be $2.15 million in, in round numbers um, to give you a sense of kind of what we're looking at in terms of um, our, our workforce. And again, it's because we have over 500 employees and are the, the biggest employer in Falls Church. Um, some of the other cost drivers that we pay attention to um, is that Social Security did give an increase of 8.7% last year. CPI um, has increased by 7.5% since this time last year. So we are seeing um, numbers go up uh, just in terms of inflation. I don't think that that's a, a mystery to anybody here. Um, regional co uh, compensation and co competitiveness has become um, pretty significant. And I, I will say last year we were very fortunate to be able to do a step plus 3% uh, COLA for our employees. 
um, which was on the very low side comparative to our regional colleagues. In fact, one of our colleagues just to the west um, was able to do a cost of living and adju adjustment and a 9% COLA. So we're seeing, um, we're seeing lots and lots of large numbers coming up from our regional competition. And then the last uh, salary cost driver for us that we need to pay attention to is the state budget. Um, and in the state budget, uh, they, they often will and have um, required a teacher pay increase, um, but that pay increase always comes at a cost to the locality. Um, so if we, if we are to give a, a salary increase and use state money, there is our portion that's required to be matched, uh, not to be matched, but to be used in order to make that happen. Um, some of the other cost drivers are employee benefits. Um, not unlike, I think, the general government, um, we are looking at about a 10% or building in as a placeholder a 10% increase in both the employer and employee rate, which is about $375,000. Um, we are seeing the increase uh, rate in the city retirement system, the general government society, or city retirement system of about 7730. Some of you might remember that um, many of our employees in the schools also uh, participate in the city government who aren't part of the, the Virginia retirement system. Um, and then um, in order to, again, remain competitive in the marketplace and to be the best employer uh, we possibly can be, we are looking at some additional programs that do come with cost. The first is a parental leave program, um, not unlike what the general government offers. Um, a sick leave payout for our employees. Um, as you know, I think uh, one, of the major, um, one of the major difficulties in schools right now is getting substitute teachers when teachers are out. Um, and there's no incentive for our teachers to not use their sick leave because the current payout is about $3.50 per hour. Um, so we are um, looking at bumping that payout up um, rather significantly so that people aren't just using their sick leave um, just to take days off. Um, and then we also have a core set of employees who are working 30 hours plus um, that we really do need to convert them to um, uh, help to a system where they can get um, health care benefits as well. So this next slide um, is simply um, a, a big number, and, and this in no way, I, I just want to make sure that I'm super clear here, um, this in no way is the budget presentation that I've prepared for this, uh, that we're preparing for the school board as the superintendent's advertised budget that we'll do in January. It's merely um, what would the total cost be if we were to do everything that we have seen um, at this point, and we know that what's in this slide isn't possible, but we want to give just a general overview and put it out there so that you all are aware of what, what we would love to be able to do, but no, we're not going to be able to do this as well, um, at least not all of it. So a step would be 0 0.8, um, $800,000, a 3% cost of living. We are in the midst of a compensation study to try to pull up some of the areas that have historically been lagging in the salary scales. Um, and so we have a placeholder of $1.6 million that came from Siegel, who is the contractor that we've been working with. That represents 4% of our overall salary file. Um, we are also looking at um, our extra pay for extra duties and doing some stipend adjustments to make those more competitive regionally. Um, you see the health insurance cost there, the other benefits cost there. 
We are seeing inflation, um, just like on the general government side with utilities and contracts and the like, are going to be increased by about $600,000. Um, and then when we met with our school-based staff, um, there were $1.3 million of requests that came from the schools. So it's a total identified expenditure of $6.5 million. Um, again, this is all pre um, uh, pre-scrubbed, if you will. We haven't had a chance to go through everything, but we just want to paint a picture of kind of what, what we're up against and sort of the headwinds, I think, that we're going to feel on, this, on the, the school side as we continue to build out our budget. So when we look at forecasted revenue, there are a couple of good, good news pieces in here and one not-so-good news piece. Um, the first is we are looking at an increase in federal revenue of about $43,000. This is the first time in a couple of years that we actually are increasing in federal dollars, and that typically is um, the way the Title I dollars are calculated for um, our schools. Um, our state aid does look like it's going to go up by about 12% or $671,000 this year, um, and those are based on last year's um, budget that was adopted as part of the biennium budget. Um, but we are looking at a potential decrease in sales tax from the state of about $200,000. So when you take all of those into account, um, we're at about a half a million dollars to the good um, in terms of federal and state aid, which will be helpful. Um, this next slide, again, this is a, a forecasted transfer needed. This is a, by no means a request. Uh, this is just um, put out here, just to kind of give you a scope based on two slides ago of what, what it would take if we were gonna do everything. Um, and, and we know that uh, we would need at least 10% uh, to increase uh, all of our compensation and some of those unavoidable expenditures and an additional 2.7% in order to do the school-based budget requests. Um, and again, this is merely to show if we had a 12.5% revenue stream, that would be awesome. Um, but we also know that, and, and uh, Mr. Shield said it up front, that we're looking at something closer to 4.5%. So it's gonna require us, I think, uh, in order to meet the spirit of the revenue sharing agreement to go back and continue to sharpen our, our swords a little bit and figure out where, um, where we may be able to slow some things down or look at some things over a period of time. But I just wanna be really clear that this was um, simply put in here so that you could see kind of the headwinds that we're up against over the next couple of years. So in summary, um, let, me, let me just end with this. Um, I think everybody in this room should be really proud of our schools. <clears throat> um, we have, uh, across the state, the highest standards of learning assessment scores um, as, a, as, a, as a school division in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, we are back to, in many areas, pre-pandemic levels of learning, and in some areas, we're actually exceeding pre-pandemic levels of learning. Um, we have had uh, minimal learning loss uh, for the fourth year in a row, your city of Falls Church Schools has been ranked number one in the state, um, and, and people are moving here because of that, and I, and I think you've got a lot to be proud of. Um, and this coming year, um, we have the greatest number of IB diploma candidates since the inception of the program. We had the most last year since the inception of the International Baccalaureate Program, and this year we have more than we had last year. So not only are our kids succeeding on the standards of learning, which in many ways are basic competency assessments, but our kids are accessing the most rigorous programs that we have to offer to them, and it's really, really exciting. Um, investing in our people is one of our 
big areas of focus in our strategic plan. Um, and as I mentioned before, and I'll just say it again, you know, competitive compensation will really help us retain and recruit staff uh, to maintain our excellent system that I think has brought us all in many ways um, some, some good news to the city. Um, and so uh, in order for us to receive some of the compensation from the state, we will need to um, increase the amount that we're paying into that compensation so that uh, we ultimately average a 5% increase um, this year. So, so what I mean by that is that there is a, a, set of, a pot of money that looks like it's gonna be set aside by the state um, for us to give a 5% increase in salary. But remember that 5% that we would get, we only get 20%. To meet that five percent so if we want to get that 20 percent we have to come up with the other 80 percent and that's just simply because of the way the state um, does things with their local composite index so um, in a second just happy to open it to questions but um, we really are excited um, in many ways to to work diligently alongside of our general government partners to craft a, a budget that will be presented in january to the school board um, again, we're about two or three months ahead of you, typically, so we're um, already going through the vetting process with our staff and with our employees and with the community on um, budget priorities. Um, and we are, again, super grateful to um, your support as a city council and as a school board and as a general government for our work together. Um, we did put in here a preliminary budget calendar. Um, so you can kind of see um, the, the scope of things that includes both the, the general government, the city council, the school board, and the schools. So with that, um, let's see, who am I turning it back to? I guess um, maybe Mr. Shields or Mayor Tarter? So, uh, Chair Downs, would, should we maybe wait till both presentations are done and then open up to questions on any of them? All right. Thank so you, you very much over. for your thank, time and thank you, thank you for that very thorough presentation. Let's uh, turn it over to Mr. Shields and Ms. Bawa. Let's hear from you all. Great. And I'll take the opportunity to thank uh, Sophie Couture for uh, running all of our slides um, in such a seamless way tonight. Thank you, Sophie. Um, uh, thank you for that presentation, Peter. And, um, and uh, so, yes, we'll, we'll, we've got a lot of work to do on, on this year's budget, and, and these are preliminary looks. Um, I will go through um, a few slides just to discuss some of our strategic objectives. I'll talk a little bit about our economic outlook um, that is driving uh, some of the numbers that Kieran will go over. And then I'll do something similar in an abbreviated fashion on our budget drivers and, and um, that will feed into kind of a gap analysis that Kieran will discuss uh, in her presentation. Um, after my slides, I'll turn it over to Kieran. And um, so what has started as a very pleasant and enjoyable evening will go south really quickly. Thank you, Kieran. It's quite um, a reputation you've got there, Ms. Bawa. <laughs> I just have to make everybody know what the reality is. <laughs> That's right. Budgeting is aspiration and um, audit is reality, I guess. All right, so we'll... we'll um, start with some of the things just really kind of for everybody to level set on some of the key things we're trying to accomplish as a city and um, the strategic initiatives that we'll talk about a lot of them are encompassed in the city's comprehensive plan and then the city council on a biennial basis really tries to prioritize the key things out of the council's vision 
and out of our comprehensive plan that we want to get accomplished over the next two years. And so one of them is just a core government function of all the building activity that is happening in the city, so much of it as a neighbor to, George May, uh, to Meridian High School. Um, we want to make sure that that building happens safely and effectively, effectively for our neighbors so that we're managing it correctly so that people can function around it. And there's a lot of building happening in the city. A big priority for the city for several years now is enhancing roadway safety. And that includes new sidewalks, that includes uh, neighborhood traffic calming, that includes lowering the speed limits on smaller residential streets, it includes safe routes to schools. All these things, we're, we've been very successful in getting grant funds to help us with a lot of these projects. And the council also recently has put local dollars uh, to these projects as well. We're, we're, we want to sustain that. Expanding affordable housing. Uh, this is, um, we've done some, I think, pretty heroic and transformational things in the past year with uh, using some Amazon REACH grants, and we want to continue that work. We have a lot of challenges in our region and in our city on access to housing. Uh, promoting social equity uh, citywide in all of our programs and how we invest our capital dollars is a high priority for the city council. Um, reducing carbon emissions. Um, we are about to launch our community energy plan in the, at the beginning of the new year and also our government energy plans and we'll want to bring the schools into that planning effort so that we as government leaders can set a good example for the community. Uh, we're about 5% of the energy usage of our community so we really need the community then to take actions uh, citywide. Um, we also need to deal with the uh, the reality of needing to be more resilient to a changing climate and that includes these deluge uh, downpours that are more frequent than they've ever been and, um, and investments in stormwater detention but also stormwater conveyance to protect our homeowners to protect property owners is a top priority and we want to do this all in a way to promote small town character um, in an urban setting and that means uh, public art, that means special events, that means great communications with their residents, and it means putting people first. That is our brand, that people have access to uh, city staff at all times and city leadership at all times, schools and general government. So these are some of the strategic initiatives we'll want to carry forward into the budget in the coming year. Some of the kind of the core budget uh, objectives that we'll have, Sophie, next slide. Um, include investing in our workforce, which is kind of a, a, a key thing, as, as Peter described, uh, with the schools uh, that we'll uh, be looking to do with our workforce as well. Uh, we've just received our uh, 2022 classification and compensation study from Evergreen Solutions. Uh, we do have money in this year's budget to implement its recommendations, but it does have impacts in the FY24 budget as we, uh, as we complete the impl implementation. Uh, we want to sustain training and professional development. Uh, we also, Council has funded a staffing levels uh, study and we'll get that underway in the, in the new year as well. Uh, we need to refresh the tools to do the job. We've been making investments in fleet and new equipment. Uh, a lot of that is part of our energy transformation efforts as well, uh, but we need to give our employees the tools to do the job safely and effectively. That includes IT equipment um, and, and programs uh, investments in this area as well. 
And then as the uh, council knows, as we talk every time about new initiatives, we've got to take care of what we've got. We've got to take care of our existing traffic signals, our existing sidewalks, our existing infrastructure, um, and, uh, and carry that into the future. Um, a couple of things that I think will inform what Kieran will talk about, but really it just sort of sets the stage for the budget challenges of the, of the coming year. Obviously, inflation and cost inflation is on everybody's minds, and that's impacting our budgets on a daily basis. Uh, just crazy supply disruptions, those are, I think are starting to get better, um, but um, when we have to replace a traffic signal cabinet, it's, uh, it was about two times more expensive and took about eight months to get that equipment over the past year, just as one example. Uh, we have a very restrict, uh, very tight and competitive labor market. Um, historically low unemployment rates, um, and uh, Jerome Powell was talking about this in his comments on Friday. One of the things that's driving wage inflation is there are about 1.7 job openings for every employee, for every person that's looking for a job right now. And, um, and we feel that, we experience that in our efforts to retain employees and to recruit new employees. The Federal Reserve is trying to tame inflation. Um, and I think what the, they're trying to thread the needle that, that they can um, start to um, tame inflation without driving up unemployment. And Mr. Powell spoke a lot about that 1.7. I think they're hoping to maybe drive that down to a more stable level without increasing unemployment, but also um, taking those in, uh, that now, which is really wage inflation, is, is driving a lot of the inflation now um, out of the economy um, to hit a 2% inflationary goal. It's a, it's a big challenge. Uh, a lot of people are pointing to a recession in the horizon if they get this wrong. So uh, these are all things that we're looking at, some direct impacts that we feel in local government, rising mortgage Mortgage interest rates will impact home values, um, and we're seeing that right now. Um, Kieran will talk a little bit more about that. I'll close with an opportunity. Um, the federal government is in an era of uh, spending for grants for local government, both in energy transformation, but also in core infrastructure. We're, we are successful in getting a lot of that money. Uh, we have a lot of transportation dollars that we're trying to process right now, and we have additional opportunities that we, we can uh, try to pursue. Uh, next slide. So on compensation, here's just a couple of market indicators. So our goal um, is to maintain a highly competitive compensation system to reward and retain a high-performing government workforce. And we're doing that in a very competitive marketplace. So across the board, sort of looking back over the past year, the index of state and local government uh, wage increases has uh, seen a growth of 4.6%. That's kind of looking backwards over the past year. Uh, looking ahead, Fairfax County has already signaled that they're looking at possibly 7.4% for general government employees on the county side. Arlington County, 4.5% uh, is what they've put out there with higher levels for public safety personnel. So we'll be looking at the marketplace, we have to, um, and presenting uh, budget options for the city council to main, make sure that we maintain uh, competitive compensation for our workforce. Um, the, um, in terms of looking at some initial numbers for us, this slide provides a little bit of uh, the beginnings of a gap analysis. 
If we were to look at what's happening regionally on compensation and we're to match that for our workforce, we're looking at uh, 1.3 to 1.4 million dollars to do that. Uh, health insurance 10% um, increase is what we're modeling right now. We won't know that until February. Uh, contracts, utilities, fuel costs, uh, we're estimating those going up by about $700,000. WMATA, as always, kind of a broken record on that. They have a huge fiscal cliff coming in the next year. Um, they have not signaled to us yet what uh, our share of that will be. Uh, the number here of $150,000 is, sim is simply if they stay at the 3% growth, uh, which we will seek to hold them to, um, but they've got a lot of pressure on them. And then lastly, I'll just note uh, the City Council did fund new, initi new initiatives uh, with one-time dollars in the, uh, in the recent budget amendment uh, using underspending and part of the revenue surplus. If we were to sustain that into FY24, that would be just over a million dollars to do that. So um, in terms of uh, that $3.5 million of needs, that's roughly twice the amount of money that would be available to the general government under the uh, revenue forecast that uh, Karen will present in just a moment. So uh, big challenges ahead. Um, and let me turn it over now to Ms. Bawa for a uh, we'll switch seats so you can be here in the center, Kieran, uh, and we'll go through our revenue forecast. Okay, good evening, everyone. So we have for you the preliminary revenue forecast for fiscal year 2024. And preliminary, I mean the numbers are still fairly uh, it's fairly early we have about three to four months of actual revenue data uh, in the fiscal year starting in july and we have up to about nine months of sales residential real estate sales all the way through september 31st uh, 30th sorry and um, the forecast is based on existing tax rates uh, which is a dollar 23 for real estate tax four dollars 30 cents for the vehicle tax and um uh, business tangibles at $5 per $100 value of uh, assessed value. So um, we are, so as the next slide shows, we are projecting a 3.9% um, overall real estate tax growth in fiscal year 2024. Real estate makes up a, about 60% of the city's total revenue base. And that along with 4.9% uh, uh, projected growth in all other taxes, um, tax revenues, which include um, sales, um, uh, meals, personal property, uh, business license, and other taxes, uh, is project. We are expecting the total general fund uh, tax revenues to grow at uh, approximately 4.2% uh, next year. Uh, this would yield additional revenue of 3.7 million. And as in the recent past, along the lines of revenue share spirit with the schools, the remaining new revenue generated from taxes would be split 50-50, and that would mean a share of 1,850,000 uh, for each, the general government and the uh, schools. Um, so diving a little bit into the real estate uh, assessments, because that make up 60% of the city's tax base, so um, 
The real estate assessed values are projected to grow overall at 3.9%. A residential, which makes up about 70% of that, is uh, projected to grow market growth of 3.9%. And a commercial, which along with multifamily, is projected um, to grow at 2.7%. Uh, new construction, in addition to the market growth, is projected at um, half a percent, which is equivalent to about uh, 27 million. Um, and then we have projections from a couple of our uh, neighboring jurisdictions. Arlington County is projecting an overall assessment uh, growth of 1 to 3 percent, 4 percent in residential, and uh, commercial is a bit challenged there, so they're leaving it flat for now. Fairfax County uh, is projecting an overall um, assessed value growth of 4.5%, and with residential, um, a 5.16% for residential properties, and a 0.6% uh, growth in commercial, and their uh, new construction is projected at um, half a percent also. Uh, the next uh, slide um, shows a chart with a history of assessed value uh, over a 13-year uh, period. So the total assessed values of real estate is, uh, as of right, uh, t uh, January 1, 2022, is $5.1 billion, and which has seen an average growth, if you see, from uh, 2010 all the way through to 2022. It has seen a growth of about uh, a somewhere between four and a half to five, a little shy of 5% um, annual. And of course, 2022 saw the double digit increases, which kind of in, um, affected the average significantly. Uh, so the light blue bars uh, show the residential, the dark blue bars show the commercial uh, assessed value, and then the green, this time we've split out the commercial with the, the retail businesses, and then the green is the multifamily. So um, the green bar, that's way on the top. You can see that the multifamily uh, assessed value has increased uh, about fourfold in the last 12 years, uh, starting from 2010. And then this confirms that, you know, we've pretty much kept at um, the ratio, 70-30 ratio with uh, residential and commercial. Okay, um, now what does that mean to a median homeowner's tax bill? So this chart shows uh, uh, the tax rate versus the tax bill uh, home, uh, impact. And the blue bars are the tax rate, which is uh, showing a 10% drop over the last five years. And then the blue line on top, or in the middle rather, that is climbing upwards is the growth uh, or increase in the median homeowner's tax bill. And um, so the interesting thing there is that the first four years, um, 1920, fiscal year 19, 20, 21, and 22, you see an average growth of about $250 each year. And then we had assessments on um, January 1, 2022 which saw um, double-digit increases for residential and even overall, and um, that uh, showed an increase of, an average increase of $933 for a median homeowner um, tax bill. So uh, 
And then uh, at 3.9%, the average, the overall increase in real estate that we are projecting uh, assessments uh, would mean an average increase of, of, of $424 um, to the median bill, tax bill. So moving along, we'll take a quick look at a few of the key indicators for the city. Um, so in the next three charts, the blue line reflects the budget that was set, and then the red line shows the actuals, how we ended the year. And uh, we're showing uh, about 10 to 11 years of summary for each of these indicators. So this one is sales tax. Sales tax revenue is projected to grow over 2.1% in 24 over 23 that's how we're projecting and which means about an 11 percent growth over the fiscal year 22 actual we did see that this category went up during the covid and we uh, our projections for 23 were increased significantly however the last two months of um, 22 and the first three months of this year we're seeing some some stagnation here and uh, Keeping that in mind, this category is expected to grow 2.1% next year. The three-year average is 6.4, and the 10-year average is 4.9%. Uh, the next one is meals tax, and it, this is projected to grow almost 14.7% over the current year's budget. And um, this is primarily because we are seeing a strong growth, and uh, we have returned already as of the end of fiscal year 2022 to normal pre-pandemic levels and we are seeing growths past that and in the first three or four months of data that we have seen this year so it is an increase of 21 um, percent over fiscal year 2022 uh, the projections for next year the three-year average is 5.8 percent and the 10-year average is 4.6 percent and the last one is uh, business license tax. Um, we have seen an increase uh, in business license even during the pandemic. Um, although the budget was adjusted downwards, if you see the blue line, uh, at that point we didn't know and we were um, not sure how the businesses would sustain. But this is due to the construction activity, which was noticeable. We've, we've sustained our business license, and uh, we are proposing an increase of 3.2% um, over the 2022 actual for this one. And the three-year average here is 3.2%, and a 10-year average is 4.2%. I would just say, you know, we give this detail just because the revenue forecasts are so important. They drive so much that we don't want to be sort of a mysterious about it. And so any questions you all ever have about revenues, don't hesitate to ask. But these are just to try to provide some background information on how we do this for you. Um, so the next chart shows um, a three-year and 10-year average annual increase for organic revenue growth which is net of tax increase. And these numbers are as of June uh, 30th, 2022. So we'll notice that the expenditures uh, in the last three years, and um, even in the 10-year window, have been less than the revenue growth. Uh, and some of this has been diverted um, to address uh, the major capital assets um, that uh, projects that have been going on in the city. So. 
moving along, fund balances. Um, this is this is a good in piece of information as we get into the budget to see where we are with our coffers and what we have um, commitments with those funds. So in the general fund, the unassigned fund balance is um, 19.2 million. According to the policy, um, the target is 17% of the total expenditures. The capital reserves are uh, projected uh, at the end of fiscal year 2023 are expected to be uh, at uh, 12.6 million. And building permits revenue is expected to end the year at 757,000. Other funds include affordable housing fund, which has a small balance still there of 251,000. That'll be one of the priorities also for next year. Um, sanitary sewer fund at 4.9 million and stormwater at 2 million. Um, I'll leave the school operating and I think Kristen has presented that at, with the year end already uh, at the budget and finance. Um, so cap city's capital reserves, which have been um, um, built up over the last few years to address the major capital projects, the school, uh, the high school, the library, city hall, and uh, other projects that are in the pipeline. Um, this chart shows a five-year um, uh, picture of how the drawdowns are going to come out and what we're going to add to those reserves and projected ending balances. Um, overall, it, it is you know it, it is clear that with the projected drawdowns and additions of the payments that we're getting from the West Falls, uh, we are ending the year and we are projecting that the balances are going to increase. Uh, in fiscal year 2023, I want to uh, point out um, we have uses of the debt service of $4 million, uh, in that number, and then we had a use of fund balance using 720000 for uh, equipment, replacement of uh, bay doors and uh, vehicle lift at the property yard, and funding a study for redevelopment of the yard after um, the Fairfax water lease was expired. So. Those were the uses, uh, the drawdowns that were projected for this year. And then the addition of um, the Brown lease is the $4.68 uh, that is expected in this year, bringing the year-end uh, projected balance of $12.6 million. The, um, the additional payments from the ground lease, uh, $4.68 million in 2024, and the 2025 are projected that are uh, mentioned out here, and then uh, 1 million in uh, fiscal year 26. So you'll see a drop uh, over there in 26, and that is from um, the payout of the Marilyn Henderson. Um, and then we are also gonna be getting um, the, the, t um, the taxes from the West Falls uh, uh, starting in 2026. So, the commitment, um, if you'll see in the drawdowns, 26, the number drops, it halves from the typical average 4 million to like 2 million plus. So. And the reason we've shared this with this group is that this chart really was really important back in 2017 with the bond referendum for the high school. This was essentially the plan of finance to help pay for that high school. So the inputs are the ground lease payments and the outflows are mostly the, the debt service on the high school. And so they are balancing out um, as that project really kind of 
becomes mature and and uh, and we follow through on the plans, uh, we will we do think it will be responsible then for us to draw down these cash capital reserves to do pay as you go investments in our school and schools and general government facilities. So that's it's another opportunity that we have as we as we kind of have put some of the heavy lifting on the on the financing and, and the economic development for the high school behind us. So that that is where we are with our revenue projections and then I would like to mention some of the unknowns that we have at this point uh, include a significant impact that could possibly be from the state legislation um, to reduce or eliminate the grocery tax, the 1% local piece that would translate to 1.9 million revenue loss for the city, and that will play itself out in uh, early part of next year, so staff will be monitoring that closely. Um, Omaha City, as the city manager mentioned, uh, is still not fully known, the impact to us, um, the 3% impact is 150,000, however, they have a significant deficit that they're trying to address, 146 million, and um, their budget, uh, hearings and discussions are going to start in late December and January when it will become more evident to us what the subsidy number is going to be for us. Um, additionally, um, you know, there are inflationary te uh, trends that are impacting the city with more than uh, usual higher fuel costs, electrical bills, uh, equipment and supplies costs that are increasing and contracted services. So although we have realized significant recovery from the pandemic um, and its uh, associated economic downturn that we had in the last two challenges in the budgets, um, there are still out there the high interest rates, uh, high uh, CPI inflation, consumer confidence is still not up there, and um, they're showing signs of uh, global slowdown. So those are things that we need to watch as we continue to work on this budget. Uh, this slide provides a summary of new revenues and projected expenditures that you heard from the schools and from the general government. Uh, there is a, at the bottom line, there is a gap at this point of the known cost drivers, um, a gap of 1.6 million for general government, a little over 4 million for the schools, and making it a total overall um, gap of about 5.7 million given uh, the revenue projections, the modest revenue projections that we have for this year. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up with uh, some highlights of the budget calendar. The next step is um, a discussion by today by the uh, school board and city council, and then next Monday we get the guidance from city council, December 12th, based on which um, the schools and the general government will be working on our budget projection uh, presentations, and the schools will release their proposal on January 10th, and um, the city starts working on its CIP and in February and coming up with recommendations from the Planning Commission on March 1st. And then the city manager and the school superintendent will present um, their proposals to city council on March 27th. And there will be public hearings and town halls in um, April and May and final adoption on May 8th. And uh, July 1, 2023 is when this budget will go into effect. And 
that wraps up all the numbers part of the presentation. <laughs> and open up for, for questions. All right, thank you both, or all of you very much for that very thorough presentation. I know it's uh, very challenging to put all the numbers together at this point in time, but we, we appreciate it. Chair Downs, should we open it up to questions from our various uh, members? All right. Did you, Anyone have any questions? Yeah, I, I believe Mr. Reidinger had a question, point of clarification. A, a yeah. very simple question. I, on, sli on the slide, uh, this is from Ms. Bauer, historical operating growth. Um, the two bottom things are seat enrollment and CFC population. I assume CFC is City of Falls Church population, but I don't know what seat enrollment is. I, I'm assuming that's the total number of students uh, enrolled at the March 1 date, the ADM. Okay, so that's, that's the school seats. Yeah, yes, it's the school seats. This, is, uh, this, is, um, this chart is always one that um, creates consternation, I think, um, because, uh, you know, 1.9 or a, a change in 1.6% in seat enrollment doesn't mean that we cut a teacher. Uh, 1.6 means you could have three kids from first grade, seven kids from third grade, 10 kids from, and, and so it's, it doesn't exactly correlate, but the, the CFC is the student population. Yes, sorry, seat, pot, seat enrollment is our students, that's right. Get one on your side. Ms. Silverman? I have a question about the 4.2 growth. Does that include, um, is that just organic growth that's already currently here, or does that include everything that we're anticipating coming into the city with new development? So it does include the assessed value of new construction in the city. And um, two notes on that. So the, the big ones uh, are Broaden, Washington. Um, you know, that hasn't quite even gotten out of grade yet, and so there's not a, a whole ton of assessed value there. Um, and um, we do, a lot of the new construction actually is going to be Founders Row as they complete their tenant fit out. Um, and then on West Falls, um, with as part of the ground lease ar arrangement, they start paying taxes in, 20, in fiscal year 2025. So not this budget, but next budget. We kind of pre-cooked it so we could predict it, um, but that, that starts coming online, not this year, but next year. So do we have any new rev revenue streams in terms of properties that we um, are counting on for this year, or for this next fiscal year? Because everything you said was in the future. Uh, so we're projecting um, what the value, so that new construction figure of 0.5% of, of assessed value is from new construction. So that is Washington and Broad and the Founders Row additional value, as well as new homes in our neighborhoods. That's that assumption. Last year you had said 8.4% um, organic growth, so this year we're absolutely cut in half. Um, and so these charts are great. It's kind of a lot for me. If you can just put into plain language, where do you see that dramatic fall? Like, where, where is that? Why is that? Why is that happened this year? Does that make sense? 
So, uh, Kieran might have some answers to that. I think a big part of that 8.4% growth last year would have been bouncing back from COVID. Um, you know, a lot of those charts that we showed on the revenue side, we really cut forecasts a lot in March of 2020. I mean, it, well, this <laughs> seared deeply in our brains. Um, and then things didn't pan out the way that we thought. Sales tax actually went up as people got on their keyboards and started shopping. And so it took us a year lag to understand that. And so like I think last year, sales tax for, uh, increase was 14% because we, had to, we were bouncing back from COVID. And uh, there are a good number of revenues that were similar. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And also housing values I'm assuming yeah although you predicted still a rise in housing values is it just tapering um, I, I forget which page it's on yeah so I think the prediction is uh, just over yeah so about four percent four point two percent on residential valuation okay and that's just a lot lower than it was I'm assuming last year and just to clarify as well, that date is as of January 1, right? By state law, the value is set on January 1. It's not sort of throughout the year. It's just January 1, the assessor is supposed to, um, you know, fully 100% assess the value of any real estate, commercial, residential as of that day. So, so yeah. when you say, sorry, the value is much lower this year, I look at it that the assessed value is kind of normal. What we are projecting last year was an aberration to the and we saw really high residential and commercial increases also. So, I mean, this, so this, this, this is more in, in line with previous years. Average. Okay. Right. I guess Miss Connolly has a. I was just going to add that like five years ago or six years ago, 4.9 would have been amazing. So, even that is like the second highest increase that we've seen in a really long time. Thank you for the historical background. Uh, I have a quick question, Ms. Michael, but you were, for the school side, you were saying that sales tax will be dropping, is that right? Correct. So what we did in terms of our state forecast is we used the budget that was adopted by the state um, last spring, late in the spring. So when the governor releases his budget proposal for next year on December 15th, we'll receive updated projections. The state really had um, forecasted growth in sales tax, so it will be really interesting to see based on recent numbers statewide on where those projections will be. Schools get their sales tax revenue based on statewide sales, I mean, not just the locality. Because I often remember that we were always, the last budget year, we were like, oh, sales taxes are so much higher than we anticipated. Thank you. Mr. Duncan? This is my annual uh, equalized tax rate question. Um, so it's helpful to have the chart that shows the tax bill for the median house. Um, on the slide that shows the revenue forecast, what's the, what's the pathway that tells me uh, what the tax rate would be equalized to generate that amount of new tax fiscal speak I mean, how much how much uh, per penny uh, is thrown off by growth I mean, if our tax rate currently is 120 
Vice Mayor Harding. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so I know it's hard enough to get you to give us your AV projection right now, but I'm going to actually ask about next year. Uh, and the reason I'm asking about next year is I think most people anticipate that if we do go into recession, it'll be pretty shallow. Um, but property values, I think, are pretty resilient inside the Beltway and in most of Northern Virginia. But given that the Fed really just started throttling the real estate market in the summer, and that's when we're seeing housing prices slow down, I'm actually concerned about assessed values for the next year. And so keeping kind of next year's budget in mind, if we assumed kind of flat assessed values, what, what are the implications for this year so that we can keep that in mind? And you don't have to answer that now, but I do think it's prudent for us to think about future years, anticipating that we might actually not see 4% revenue growth, like Mary Beth said, that's actually pretty good when you look at the long scheme of things. But I think we should be wise and think about what FY25 might look like um, and then keep that in mind for this year's budget too. Thank you. Other questions or comments? <laughs> yes, of course. I, I just have a comment. Um, and one of the pieces of information that you have um, tonight is the FCCPS student by dwelling by unit um, that comes out. And I want to thank the team that put that together. Uh, there's, there's a bit of a, not a canary in a coal mine, but just some good information for, I think, the school board and for the council to sort of look at and that is the first, this is the first time we got numbers from Founders Row. And there are 48 students that are coming from Founders Row. So as um, these developments come online, I just think sort of in the spirit of what Vice Mayor Hardy said, thinking into the future as Broad and Washington comes on, as the new high school site comes on and the like, um, that's yielding at about one point, right now, about 1.2%. Uh, or 0.12%, um, and it's not built, it's not completely occupied. So we're starting to see kids out of there. So just putting that out there for information for everybody. And just so everyone knows, I looked up what the projections were for Founders Row, and it's squarely in the range of projections, which was like 43.6 to 65 students coming out of school. So we're in the lower range, but I know the whole building isn't open yet, but. That when I first saw that number, I thought, that's really high, but it is not really high. The update we got from Thursday was that they're 80% at least. So yeah. that's actually pretty close to being fully occupied. So that's yeah, I just, yeah, I just want to make sure that everybody's aware, though, that there are kids coming out of these yeah. places. That's all. Of course. The vision articulated very eloquently about our globally superior uh, IB program um, is great. Um, I'm wondering on the city side, what's the equivalent? Sorry, general government side. On the general government side, what's the equivalent? And my answer to that is, you know, we need to become a premier regional activity center within our trading area. 
and I think we did a good job of that. But that's just, you know, how I would say where we want to go. I wonder if the manager could articulate, you know, on the on the government side, what in terms of personnel, in terms of growth, in terms of services offered. What's what's your version of the school's vision for a global uh, preeminent IB program? So the IB program is such a kind of a coherent whole. Um, and, you know, for the city government, we do follow, I think, the council's vision that's in the, in the enshrined in the, in the comprehensive plan, which um, really embraces this idea of vibrancy and growth um, and maintaining a small town character, uh, providing, you know, having a workforce that can do increasingly sophisticated work. The, the, the development that is happening in the city is world-class development and the buildings that are being constructed have the most complex fire suppression systems, the most complex um, public safety you know, infrastructure in them. And our staff have to be able to um, do those plan reviews, inspect them, make sure that that construction happens safely. Transportation, we need cutting edge transportation ideas in the city to move people through the city safely, um, but also with, you know, so people can get to where they want to get to. Um, and so we need people who can do the highest level work that's being done anywhere in the country. Um, but to be able to do it here, means uh, you do that high level work, but you also have to answer all the emails. You also have to uh, respond to all of the um, individual requests for information that come at us constantly. So it's an, it's an incredible balance work that our workforce has to be able to both embrace, um, but, um, you know, thrive under as well. So we, you know, that's why that training and, and development, part of the budget which the council has uh, funded is so important to us. Yeah, got one on your side. I appreciate it. Uh, question on slide seven, more of a curiosity question. I think there was on the a cost driver for uh, general government. There was a number that was mentioned about um, over a million dollars for sustaining 2023 initiatives. Uh, and I think it was messaged that these were sustaining one-time use funds. It seemed like that was a contradiction, but what's an example of a one-time use fund that would still need to be sustained? So one example is, um, you know, one of the, the things that the city is doing on transportation is we've been very successful in getting grants, but these grants are very slow. Um, they're big dollar amounts, but it might take five years to actually implement some of these grant-funded projects. Meanwhile, residents are coming to us requesting kind of more rapid responses to safety issues in their neighborhoods. And so the city, so staff developed a proposal and took it to city council of having a small um, staff crew uh, that can go out and do these um, enhancements at the neighborhood level. Um, and we're doing that with local dollars so that we can move quickly with it as opposed to grant dollars. That's an example of a new program that came out with one-time dollars that we'd be seeking to sustain in FY24. And uh, the cost of that is about $250,000 to sustain it. So, Mr. Snyder? Yes, oh, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, these very um, insightful presentations. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about the potential legislative session in Richmond, and here I'd invite Cindy to make some comments. I know one of the things that was mentioned was a potential loss of the grocery sales tax, and what is the hit um, on our budget, and are we assume what are we assuming in the projections we've heard tonight about what may happen in Richmond? Uh, because it's a, to say the least, it's a volatile situation there right now. Thank you. I can address the General Assembly piece and then uh, pass the baton for projections. The dollar amount, though, for the 1% local grocery sales tax, if the General Assembly eliminates it, is 1.9 million impact to the city of Falls Church. Um, as we recall, last year the General Assembly went after all of the grocery sales tax. Um, the school's portion was eliminated, but replaced and made whole, um, as long as the projections and the calculations that they're shifting forward hold. And so it'll be interesting to see the December 15th budget. The 1% almost got eliminated, but it survived the day as is. The governor has already indicated that he's reducing tax rates and will be going um, looking at that 1%. What we haven't seen I'm pretty sure he's going to propose eliminating it, but what we haven't seen is he going to make localities whole. Last year that wasn't on the table, and because it wasn't on the table, I think that's why it didn't get slashed, but we'll have to see what happens. They did eliminate the 0.5% um, dedicated for transportation and did not replace it. So I think we have to sort of see that as a potential outcome. There was enough advocacy for youth and education that the, the school portion made whole. Um, so I do think Mr. Snyder, uh, you and the Legislative Committee on Council will have to be uh, monitoring that closely this year. And then anything for how it's baked into the protections other than a known driver we need to watch. So it's it's uh, we have to watch it closely. Our assumption is is that if it is eliminated, the General Assembly will make local governments whole. So we have not built into this a reduction of one point two million dollars, uh, one point nine million dollars of revenues. The um, only why reason why I raise it is that it's a potential uh, driver in the wrong direction if things go badly in Richmond. And just to remind everyone, uh, obviously. Um, maintaining uh, revenue from the state as unfairly small as it is, particularly in school financing, maintaining that revenue is issue number one for our legislative program. So, um, but thanks for that discussion. I think um, we're gonna have to watch this very closely and we may see some changes and even potentially dramatic changes from assumptions over the next few months based upon what happens in Richmond. Thanks a lot. Thank you. One oh. slight add, Mayor, I will say we are seeing good things come from the, the governor's potential proposed budget for increasing police funding, including the SROs, which we saw this last year, and mental health. So there is some good, but the loss of the grocery sales tax would be a significant. All right. Other questions from anyone? Oh, yes. Ms. Tice. Thank you. I just wanted to um, go back one quick step to these charts with um, the students by dwelling unit and our class sizes and all of that. And because we've had such a wonderful partnership over the last several years and built these beautiful facilities, I think it would be helpful data to put 
here on one or both of these charts uh, what our capacity is for uh, how many students can we really hold um, because we are pro-family and we are seeing kids coming in at some of the new developments and so I think whether it's assuaging fears that we don't have room for new families or, or, or whatever I think it would be helpful to, to put that here somewhere to show where we are and you know how much space do we have to continue to add and what would that look like. That's a great idea. We also um, are putting together the final touches on our capital improvement plan. And in that CIP, we typically have a cover sheet for each school that says what the capacity is. So we'll make sure that we call that out as well. And actually, I also wanted to just um, thank the city council also. I'm, I'm thrilled to see one of your initiatives as being affordable housing. And I think these charts would go a long way too to showing that we have, we have room in our schools. And as long as we do it, as well as we've done so many other partnerships, it's exciting to see that as a priority. Thank you. Hi, uh, Mr. Shields, I have a quick question for you. So as you all saw, we are also gonna be undergoing a salary study and so we sort of have a placeholder in there with a certain dollar amount so did you you just recently received your study is that what you said that's right and is it um not to get into specifics but was it ballpark what you all were estimating in terms of the the dollar amount um to implement its recommendations was more than the council budgeted for so we're in conversations with the council but we anticipate that we'll we will seek to implement all the recommendations of that compensation. And then, but you, you said you might split it between two fiscal years, is that what you were? Okay, okay, thank you. Yes, as just, and I know that is something that definitely, as we talk about partnership, I know both this, the uh, general government and the schools have been working to compensate our staff because we're all competing for employees. So we'll be going, undergoing that same exercise. And Mr. You. Shields, just to clarify, can you speak to what your goal was with that? In other words, are you was that goal to be the top paid, middle range? Can you sort of elaborate a little bit on what the um, idea of the compensation is? So the, the goal is um, to maintain a very competitive compensation um, across all classifications. We compared ourselves against uh, 13 other jurisdictions in the national capital region. Um, we have, you know, in terms of all of the positions that we have, not every position had a comparable and that we had enough data to be able to assess, but the greatest majority did. So we think we had a very statistically valid uh, study. Um, we, uh, you know, essentially what we're doing, you know, from a mathematical perspective is, is um, trying to maintain at the at the median of what the basket of our market competitors is um, on local on the local government side it is a more complicated analysis because we have such a diverse workforce doing so many different things um, and so that's the, the the approach that evergreen took thank you other questions from anyone comments requests Sure, Ms. Connolly. Just two things. One is that I'm looking around, there looks like there's about 23 people in this room. So the city is running the Little City gift card program. So one of the ways that we can increase revenue is to shop local and encourage others to do that. But the um, Economic Development Office is, do is doing this really great program, which you've, I hope you've seen advertised around. You can buy a gift card from the city and then it's supplemented with if you buy a $100 gift card, you get a $50 
additional gift card to spend within the city of Falls Church to support our small businesses, to bring back that tax revenue and all those things. So you can do that. I think there are still cards left, right? There's still some left. Um, so that is one way that we can all do that. And so I encourage you to encourage others to shop locally and spend as much of your discretionary income in the city of Falls Church as possible. That is one thing. And the other one is one of the things that we talked about with our revenue sharing agreement was ensuring that the city council was paying attention while the school board was going through your budget deliberations and then the school board paying attention as the city council goes through budget deliberations. So that doubles budget season for all of us. But I do think we need to come up with some kind of mechanism to ensure that that information is being shared back and forth. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think we should put our heads together and make sure that we're doing that so that everyone is aware of all those deliberations that are happening over the next four months. All right, thank you. Also, there are some t-shirts out there. I don't know if you all saw them, but um, I, what City Falls Church, tie-dye t-shirts, um, so uh, everyone grab one before you take off. And I just, I just for the record, want to let you know that we purchased those gift cards for our flag football coaches to thank them. Yes. So yes, we are putting our, our money into the city. Yep. But I, no, I think Ms. Connelly, I think that's an excellent point about the um, making sure, you know, we got to figure out, a easy, obviously no one's going to have time to dig into those numbers on each side, but I think one of the things I think is always really helpful on ours are these budget questions that are generated from the school board and then are publicly answered. And they're really, Ms. Michael and her staff do a great way of, of um, writing it real succinctly so that anyone can, that might be one quick way to keep keep the city council updated but we'll yeah talk some more about that i think it's a great point yeah mr duncan this is one of the with us and the tuition students that was good news um uh, i remember when my kids were in school some of their a couple of their best friends were tuition students um is that a uh, is that a profit center i mean is it a break-even proposition how do you calculate how much a tuition student pays and does that help you in any way with your uh, staffing or whatever um, yeah there there is a calculation that goes into um, how much we charge and then we also um, there are additive charges for different services as well so if a student needs additional services they pay a little bit more um, we're you know most of the school divisions around here offer some sort of tuition arrangement um, and we're sort of in that ballpark if you will um, Right now, we have not increased our, sa our staff dramatically. Um, so we're, we're 20 students to the good, if you will. And so it's been very, very helpful. And if I can just add on, so those um, students are brought to the uh, school board and we don't sign off on it unless the principals says that we have the room for the students. There's, yeah, there's a vetting process and an interview process and we check grades and, and everything, so. All right. Any uh, any additional questions, comments, or requests? Any final words from anyone? I think, as always, this has been a very productive meeting. I know we've got miles to go before we sleep, a lot of work to be done before we get to our final budgets, but I think this is a great start and a continuation of the great collaboration we've had these past years. And so I look forward to completing this process and working together. Thank you, and thank you for hosting us this evening. All right. Thank you all. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Let's go get some more food. <laughs>